1: Risers and fallers, and some of the latest underdog best ball draft. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find my newsletter BenGretch at subset.com. with me. As always, is Sean Siegel. And you can find all his great work over at Roto Viz. And Sean, I just got back from my little jaunt to Hawaii for my sister's wedding. It was fantastic. I'm a little bit out of the loop, but we're going to have a kind of a quick break. Quick little chat today about some risers and fallers. Maybe you can update me on, on some of the reasons that these players have been rising and falling.
2: Well, Ben is here. He is ready. He's got that sun tan slash sunburn, some peeling skin. He enjoyed the luau. He shared some of his uh, airplane Wi-Fi shenanigans with me <laughs> before the show. So we're excited to have him. I was I was excited by some Hawaii golf. Played good
1: golf, shot in the 80s three times. That's good for me. You're not a big golfer, so that probably. I'm not,
2: but no, I mean that's fantastic. I mean, I don't know how easy the course was, but 80s is going to be good for non-professionals. So,
1: yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, high 80s, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, that was fun. The beach, the the pool, the the food, the drinks, all that stuff. You know, the I haven't been to Hawaii since I was a kid, but it was fun to go do the kind of some of the cliche stuff, I guess. Drink uh, pina coladas and mai tais and all that.
2: Yeah, that's perfect. I had a chance to go once uh, eight or nine years ago now. And I recommend it to anybody who has the chance. Pretty cool being out there. And then it was sort of funny. I I did a little, uh, for anyone who listened, I did sort of a a mid-roll break-in where I explained, for anyone who had missed it, that we had recorded our Superflex underdog draft a full week ago. Uh, in the interim, that tournament has almost completely filled. And so by the time some listeners are listening to it, uh, a, a lot more drafts have happened since ours. <laughs> I was looking back on it, though. And the more I look at that team, I'm, I'm excited for it. If we can get those two quarterbacks to stay healthy, the rest of that team is absolutely loaded. So we're fired up about that. And then today we're going to look at some risers and followers in underdog ADP. We have the tool up on the site with a variety of cool things you can add that to the underdog advanced Rate Explorer and the underdog roster construction Explorer, as you're doing your research there. And there have been some risers there have been some followers, even though we are in the dead time of the NFL season, there are some tidbits of news trickling out. Probably the one that has had the biggest impact or the two that have had the biggest impact that we can probably kind of jump through, but at least want to reference at the beginning. Uh, one of the things that you and I have talked about on the show very briefly, because it's not really something that we want to get into that much, especially when we don't have that much information, but a little bit off of the air, we've discussed the fact that one of the issues with selecting Deshaun Watson and Cleveland Browns players was that when we actually got pretty close to making decisions, it was almost inevitable that some of the information that was being held back for one reason or another, obviously there are court cases involved, but, some things are probably going to come out and probably going to look bad in a way that forced the NFL to take a pretty firm stand. And that is what has happened. It'll be interesting to see. You have all these different rumors flying, but it does look like it's very possible that Deshaun Watson won't play at all. Obviously his ADP has cratered from the point where people were actually enthusiastic. that They might play most of the season based on some of the court cases being dismissed to now. It looks like the NFL may push for a full season ban His ADP cratered, but it's also had some carryover effects on players like Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Bell. It's going to be more difficult for these guys to put up the numbers with Jacoby Brissett. I think there was some excitement for Cooper kind of with this connection and with him not having a lot of target competition necessarily in Cleveland. It's not as good a situation now.
1: Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I know some people are going to ask about Baker Mayfield – basically all the reporting there has been that there's virtually no chance of a reconciliation and, and Baker starting for the Browns this year, which would probably be at least, you know, better for uh, Amari and, and some of these receivers than what they might end up with. I mean, it's, it's interesting. They're still holding Baker. Maybe that means that they'll end up being a, some type of, I mean, I, I saw at one point a you know, a Baker Sam Darnold swap of some sort was being discussed and maybe they'll do some, something that swaps, for a a different quarterback that then helps them for this year a little bit. But yeah, I mean, right now with the Browns receivers, there's a lot of uncertainty
2: there, obviously. And the second big point is that Rob Gronkowski has retired. Probably a, a pretty distinct possibility actually comes back for the very stretch run, which then brings up the question of, would you draft him in the final round of tournaments where the stretch run is obviously disproportionately valuable, But his retirement obviously kills his ADP, but then it boosts players like Russell Gage and brings the backup tight ends into the equation. Those players do find our risers list. Uh, Enthusiasm now for Russell Gage. This is someone that you have labeled just a guy on a number of occasions, but we both, you know, were... um, I say, aware of that, but would admit that he played well down the stretch last season in Atlanta and now goes into a situation where his target volume could be very healthy. The interesting thing, too, kind of in contrast, is that despite the Gronkowski news, Chris Godwin has been falling. And not a ton, but has been falling over the last 20 days. As concerns about some of the other injured players come out, I think that there is, again, sort of this carryover effect where now drafters are maybe looking at all injured players with a tad bit more skepticism than they were, say, three weeks ago. Yeah, and we're getting closer to the season, probably an element there, too, where we just haven't gotten good news.
1: Godwin does appear like he's going to miss a good chunk of the season. Gage is an interesting guy. I mean, I have been out on him at times, um, but he's one that when I wrote my big targets per route run, breakdown at the end of last season i believe i wrote it in february right after the super bowl uh and went team by team i was pretty impressed to see how strong he was last year took a step forward and he's a guy who played cornerback actually in his first couple of years at lsu switched over to wide receiver his junior season and didn't do much as a junior and then as a senior is when he actually got on the field more in college and and got some rush attempts, caught a few passes, but didn't have much in terms of a collegiate track record, but in part because he wasn't even playing the wide receiver position yet. Right. And so when you start to see these improvements in year four for him last year, you know, you you can start making that case and maybe he's just a little bit of a late bloomer late to the position. It's taken him some time. Now he moves into a situation with Tom Brady. I mean, I can understand the enthusiasm here from that perspective, Mm -hmm. but yeah, he's a guy, when I wrote about the target spot run stuff, I said, look, I mean, I've been down on this guy, but I think you have to give some credit where it's due. Now, the big concern for me when he went to Tampa was, in Atlanta, there was very little competition. His, his only other real competition for targets was a 21-year-old rookie tight end, a superstar 21-year-old rookie tight end, but a young player, and then not much else in terms of players that are going to compete to earn targets with him. He goes to Tampa, and you're thinking, okay, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, he's going to be – having heavy competition in every route that he runs to earn those targets. But now we're looking at Gronk and Godwin, both potentially being out for a significant portion of the season. It's a really nice setup now for a player like him who could fit that, you know, Tom Brady, sort of Julian Edelman, Wes Welker type mold that we know he's like to throw to.
2: And he's risen from about 87 to 77 in terms of where he's going over the last three weeks I don't have any exposure to Gage, but he is one of the players where I feel like a month into the season, if you don't have exposure, you're going to be looking back and thinking, you know, I should have mixed in some shares and I at least knew the risk. Maybe I still was thinking, okay, Godwin's going to come back and there won't be the targets at the time period that you need them the most. But he does look right now like he'll be the type of player who can get you off to a fast start and put you in the mix. And one of the things that I do like to keep emphasizing with all of these tournament teams, and then certainly as we move into redraft and you're trying to beat uh, your college friends, you're moving into redraft and you're trying to win the FFPC main event, that it's so easy for us to discount the idea of just getting there. But if you have a season where you get 75, 80% of your teams into the big tournament, that gives you a dramatic advantage over somebody who maybe has a slightly better... Uh, team in terms of being playoff optimized but only gets you know one team into the postseason yeah for sure i mean there's gonna be a lot of variance in those late weeks
1: uh we know that and yeah gauge could be a pretty big piece i guess to help you get there it it will be an open question like you said i mean if godwin comes back i i mean i still expect godwin to come back and play well on the stretch and be to to pretty quickly become the number one target again we've talked a little bit this offseason about how his targets probably were improving last year Evans had fallen off this sort of a career low where he's at in his career. I think he's, I mean, he's being taken very high and he's been very, very good. And I, you know, much like you said with Gage, I expect he'll be good early in the year, but I have enough concerns about age and skill decline that I'm not really excited about him. But essentially, if I wanted to make that Evans play, I think you can make, a pretty similar one with gauge. I, I think you would expect Evans to, to pay to, to score quite a bit more based on their respective profiles and Evans being in the offense, playing with Brady the last couple of years, having already been productive there, but you can kind of make that same play with gauge at a, quite a bit of a cheaper cost. And it probably makes more sense at that price point to make this early season, try to get my teams into the postseason type of play alongside maybe a, a, a rookie wide heavy wide receiver group which is the type that we often build where you're expecting some of those guys to blow up late and have that kind of almond Ross, saint brown type close to the season that might be a really good way to mix together a, a wide receiver room
2: and we hesitate to ever say this but in those early rounds you do want the transcendent players there are some options in the first round at wide receiver that i think if you are in position in terms of what your draft slot is to take them you have to do that and then as you wrap back around maybe you take a running back i mean ben we don't we don't like to recommend the <laughs> running backs here but but there are some very talented running backs in the second round that way you get your jefferson your chase your cup you have the anchor running back still. You have a lot of flexibility from that build. Now, Evans has actually risen so high that you actually, it's a sort of a different kind of choice. You're looking kind of at those running backs at the end of the first round and then Evans coming back through. But for exactly the reasons that you're saying there, I think that you want to take a player that in 2023, you think could be a top three pick. And it doesn't seem like Evans can be that your point there about, you can get the Tampa Bay exposure through gauge much less expensively, I think a very, very good one. Another interesting dynamic that we're seeing kind of jumping over to the followers for a second, is that we kind of broke this up into a couple of different categories. The first one was sort of looking at one through 40-ish altogether, the second looking at sort of one through 75, uh, just to get a little bit of a different sense, because obviously the amount of the rise or the decline is going to mean different things in different areas of the draft. But if we look at that bigger category first, we see followers that include Jamison Williams, Traylon Burks, and Sky Moore. In the more limited category, we see Drake London. This, I think, is so interesting because one of the things that you and I have been hammering is that we think these rookie wide receivers are actually undervalued but they are now falling from those prices which benefits us even more but there are different dynamics at play here right drake london things seem to be very positive he's moved into that top rookie wide receiver slot with treylon burks having trouble these other guys it's much clearer why they are falling the injury situation with Jamison Williams similar what we were talking about with Chris Godwin people starting to realize he's probably not going to give you the production you need over the first half of the season Sky Moore actually with that hamstring injury missing the Chiefs offseason activities means that you miss out on all the puff pieces and you miss out on all the buzz and so for drafters who actually do want to load up on more this is fantastic because now we're going to anchor to a slightly different ADP even once those puff pieces start to come out now in july and august and if he tears up the preseason at least he'll be rising from a lower point as opposed from already the very elevated adp that he had before you and i are big sky more fans but in part because of a show that i think that you may be involved in uh sky more's adp was probably a little bit out of control and then obviously the situation with traylon burks having trouble uh probably with some medical issues or a combination of medical issues and conditioning but his offseason practices have really pushed him down the board and i think you have to be concerned about this at the same time the the connection that i think a lot of sharp drafters are making is that while he's not jamar chase and we shouldn't expect jamar chase type of production from him he is a very good prospect and in some ways even still an undervalued prospect and now he's getting hit over the head with something that i mean yeah, it's a red flag, just like Jamar Chase really struggling in, in training camp last year. I mean, that's a red flag, but you can't prioritize that above the body of work. And again, if you like Burks, you're now going to get a much better price. It's really a gift to drafters who are wanting to target these receivers. Again, with the exception of Williams, who, again, you know, probably won't play enough. Yeah, Then Chase comp is, is a great one because
1: we saw him fall last year. We saw, obviously, as soon as the regular season started, he was, he was crushing right away. I remember writing about that a little bit in the newsletter last year when he was falling and how that was really making him a great target. And it, it, I, I centered that piece. I, I remember I talked a little bit about Travis Etienne. It was right after Etienne's injury, before we knew the severity, it obviously changed the equation for him, but centered that piece on you know on the concept of anti-fragility. And the idea for Chase was. Yeah, maybe he's having drops issues, but he's going to get multiple opportunities. Look at the draft capital. Look at what they brought him in for. They drafted him so high, fifth overall, that they were going to be continuing to work him into the equation. If if he was having drops issues in the first few weeks of the regular season, even maybe they they cut his snaps for a week, but they're going to bring him back in week five and they're going to try again. And we saw the Colts do this with Jonathan Taylor a couple of years ago where Marlon Mack got injured. Taylor played pretty well pretty early, made some mistakes. They weren't real happy with him. And around around weeks, like maybe it's like 9, 10, 11, if I'm remembering correctly in his rookie year game log. If you go back, his snaps really dropped. His rush attempts dropped. It was the, the, the lowest touches he had in any game all year, I think, for like a three-week stretch there. But then he came back after that and had the monster late season run. And that's what we already are thinking about with our rookie picks is that there's this long-term trend where a lot of times they just hit later in the year. Part of that's, there's going to be some growing pains, right? They don't know the offense yet. They don't know the league yet. They're going to have to learn a few things throughout the year that can start here in training camp. Like, yeah, okay. Traylon Burks absolutely hitting the ground running with flying colors and getting nothing but positive reports would be preferred, but now we're getting a better price on something that, we know for a lot of rookies last actually into the season where they don't necessarily hit the ground running for the first few months. And yet we also know for Burks, the draft capitals there, they traded away A.J. Brown and drafted him like right behind that. It was a very clear signal. They don't have other receiving options. They brought in Robert Woods. I mean, they don't, they brought in Austin Hooper at tight end. They have Nick Westbrook-Akine. I mean, they're going to give Traylon Burks every chance they can this year, very much like the Chase situation from last year, in my opinion, where even if Burks is struggling into the season, even if he's not playing a ton early, they're going to give him a couple weeks off, and they're going to realize they can't throw to Nick Westbrook-Akine every single time, and they're going to say, we got to go back to this first-round receiver again. And they'll do that three or four times throughout the year if they have to, if they have to scale him back and then bring him back. He's going to get his opportunities and so again, this sort of anti-fragile or anti-fragility point is just that everything that could break should break positively for a guy that's in his situation. He has to fail time and again now. I mean, and so yes, this early, these early struggles aren't great, but when you also think about it from the perspective of we're trying to get the best price we can on these players in these drafts and that type of thing, it's not really a bad thing for us. We can still make that bet now at a cheaper price. And hope that this doesn't last through December, right? Because if he can get it figured out by week one, that's great. But if not by week one, by week five or by week ten, he can still be a, a positive asset for us throughout the season.
2: And this is a slightly different situation. You could even say that maybe Jamison Williams, if he does come back or get close to full health in the way that you know the most optimistic timeframes are, in, anytime that you go and you try and talk about how good Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson were as rookies and then obviously for jefferson his first two season how that compares historically you run up across odell beckham who missed like the first month of his rookie season and still managed to put all those numbers up there now almost no one is going to have a rookie campaign like an Odell beckham but we have multiple years in a row where receivers have done very well We have this overall effect beyond just Chase and Jefferson where rookie receivers are performing well and the transition from college to the NFL has been easier. The impact that they're having in part because the teams, when they spend those assets to bring them onto the team, they need that production. It's not a situation where you can sit back and say, you know, you're redshirting or we're going to get you involved later. And that's despite the fact, especially with the last couple of years where you've had this COVID dynamic that has made – some of the off season stuff, much more limited. You hear all the time now with second and third year players talking about how 2022 has been so much different and the rookies are getting so much more of an opportunity to work with the team, work with coaches in a physical way than they got. And they're excited about how those rookies could contribute. Now that doesn't mean that everybody's going to go in and play. Well, a lot of these guys do have some hurdles. They are going to run up against, you know, for situations like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, probably not going to have great quarterback situations. But overall, the combination of the trends and the prices seem to be moving in the right direction. You know, if you want to load up on rookies.
1: Yeah, side. I mean, we know that they're not all going to be hits, but the market knows that too, and is, is often too concerned about that. They're not willing to necessarily take the risk on a player they haven't seen it yet from. And that can create this great opportunity where when the player is a superstar right away, you get a great price on him. You get Jamar Chase in the fifth round as a rookie because no one wanted to believe he was Jamar Chase. Even though his profile pretty much screamed, hey, I'm going to be a guy that you say is Jamar Chase later. You're going to to know what Jamar Chase is pretty quick. And so for Burks, I mean, yeah, if I'm not even concerned about how well he might perform in, in September, because a lot of times we're not. I mean, we are, but we're betting on the talent coming through at some point through the season. I'm certainly not going to be concerned about June reports. I mean, we we still have a couple months of you know training camp for him to turn around before and then and then even in September, yeah, it
2: wouldn't be great if he started slow, but I think we'll be all right. And one of the things here, too, I think that just creates so much potential extra value for you if you're drafting zero RB or if you're drafting wide receiver heavy. Obviously, there are wide receiver heavy builds that are not zero running back. But because you have the depth at the position and you're planning to dominate through that position and dominate the flex through that position as you go throughout the course of the season, you have enough firepower at wide receiver that you can take some of these risks that pay off in a huge way. If you built through the running back position, it's just going to be less comfortable for you than it would have been already to take the risk on some of these players where you're thinking if I put one or two of them in At the spots where I just absolutely have to have wide receiver production, then I'm really tearing these rosters apart. So in terms of how we're drafting some of the positions and some of the specific players, our build will also come into play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Russell Gage makes probably more sense if you're running back heavy early, right? Because that feels like an easier play to make. Uh, But that's one of the fun things about the redundancy, that receiver that we love to, to target in these early rounds you get more exposure to the breakouts. I mean, that's a lesson that you've been teaching since you know, Josh Gordon and, and Al Jeffrey were your big dudes in
2: in uh twenty fifteen, twenty fifteen, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, twenty thirteen there. So twenty thirteen. Oh my god, it's been so many years. It's, uh we're coming up on a decade of Rotoviz, a decade of the best decade for fantasy football and, and so many great developments along the way, yeah. both at Rotoviz and, and so many other places. It's it's been a lot of fun. So then as we go then to the next group, we have uh, a variety of risers and, and kind of as we were playing with it before the show, there were some names that popped up if you l- use a little bit different field as well. But we have guys like Rashad Penny, who the current reports are that he could be the starter. You and I are probably not buying that, but Penny is a huge talent. And so as long as you still get a decent price, you'd be on him or Stevenson getting some buzz, but you're in the situation where PR Strong also getting some buzz. So that's a tricky one to work out. But there are also some young tight ends who are moving up a little bit. And Cole Komet and Irv Smith. Komet, one of these players who is very controversial. And uh, Pat Crane and I were were actually debating this a little bit as we build a dynasty team in the RV Triflex format. Kmet's numbers, not good. You can look him up in the stealing signals tool and see where he's struggling. And yet the route volume was there last year. I believe he was in the top five in total routes at the tight end position. It's almost impossible for me to see him not being up near the top of the NFL in total routes this coming year. Because they basically have no, no one else to throw out there. So you've got this guy who played his rookie season at 21 years old. He's a big athletic tight end who was a second round pick and his numbers have been poor, but he's also played in a sort of tragic situations in terms of the offensive concept and the quarterback production. You and I are also still somewhat on the Justin Fields bandwagon. You talked on the show last time about how many rushing points Trey Lance would put up Justin Fields, someone who, I believe, went for 452 rushing yards in a relatively limited number of snaps compared to what the rest of the quarterback position of the guys we think of starters last season. He could have big rushing numbers. He's also in this riser category. Now, none of these players are huge risers, but it's interesting to me that we finally have a little bit of interest the drafters are kind of coming out of hibernation on the bears.
1: Yeah. I mean, I am still, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little bit shell shocked from last year still, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited for fields in real life. I'm still a little bit skeptical in fantasy. I don't know if he has the same type of elite rushing upside that I was talking about with Lance in terms of just what we saw in the first year. And if you look at his college profile as well, It's a new system, it's a new team, but he's not quite as big of a a quarterback, so some of the design run stuff probably won't be there quite to the same degree. It wasn't for him last year to the degree it was for Lance. And actually, Fields only had design runs on 7.6% of his dropbacks, whereas Lance was way up at like 30%. He did scramble at a pretty healthy clip. And I think, you know, I, I hope we'll see more of that. They did a lot of the quick release stuff with him last year. They were running everyone on curls and and basically just letting the DBs play moving forward because it was so clear that they were not going to let the plays develop. And we've talked a little bit about that. That we're excited. Hopefully the Bears will let him play a little more like Russell Wilson. I think it's the comp you made the last we talked about it, where extend some plays, make some plays downfield. That's what he did so well at Ohio State. And so maybe the scramble rate goes up. I'm a little concerned that he doesn't have quite the rushing ceiling. And then when that is the case, like, yes, he can be very good still, but he's going to need efficient passing numbers. And so there's some concern for me there obviously as well. And and this is one that I'm I, – I guess I just don't see Fields and Lance in the same boat right now because I think Lance is a little bit more rushing upside and has a little bit better weapons to play with certainly. And so I'm I'm – kind of going back and forth on these, on this bear offense. It's, it's interesting that the the drafts are starting to buy in a little, I do like Comet for all the reasons you said. And then also just the fact that Jimmy Graham was getting a really high rate of snaps in the red zone. So Comet hasn't done much in the red zone yet, but that's been largely because Jimmy Graham was basically just a red zone role player the last couple of years. And so Comet should get those looks now. I mean, that's the really key thing that he should add. And there's this potential that he actually is good at it and scores eight touchdowns or something, but
2: And let me correct myself this 420 rushing yards on 634 snaps. You mentioned Russell Wilson. And and again, I don't think we're going to see the design runs. That was a great stat that you had there, but keeping the plays alive and then sometimes needing to run on those and having the, the elite athleticism to turn those plays into big gains, kind of a fun part for him. And just to give listeners a sense, he's risen from, outside the top 130 to just in there around 123 ish an eight slot rise in ADP it's interesting Ben and it's uh, it's one of the reasons why it's always valuable I think to check some of these trends beyond just your own drafts because your own drafts can really stick in your head the thing that jumps out to me is that Connor O'Driscoll obviously of FFPC best ball championship fame and i are doing a slow draft and we had burrow and lance at good prices and good fits with the rest of our team so we obviously took them but fields is kind of the other target and he kept falling and falling and falling and when he was at like pick 150 i was just tearing my hair out that we had already taken our two quarterback picks because it would have been such a beautiful selection there the note with comet he's risen from about 147 to 140 that's a about the range that you'll find him in if you're drafting today.
1: Yeah, and to be clear, I like these prices, and I'm with you on that. When you can get Fields, you know, especially if he's falling to the range that you just described, the quarterbacks you're comparing him to don't have the type of upside that field has. I mean, that's it's just that simple.
2: Do you want to go on record here with a quick, a bold prediction on your Seattle running backs now that Penny is Jenner is is healthy at least for this week and in the healthy week generating some buzz my bold prediction is the entire offense gets 500
1: yards total for the season and the running back split that 250 each
2: okay, that's that's not going to make them good value so we know that <laughs> Ben is still selling there a little bit then we look at the top guys now some of the risers and followers are pretty interesting and let's start with the followers so we can end on a good note with the risers Alvin Kamara falling as news sort of solidifying concerns about his suspension. If it's a six-game suspension, it, it is going to be hard to draft a player who has some very negative trends in his profile. We've talked about those on the show, but then also the offensive situation. If they've added more talent at wide receiver, which we'll see if that works out, but if Olave and Landry actually are decent i would not say target hogs but I mean, those guys are going to get open they're going to get targets anything from michael thomas at this point would almost be gravy they didn't use him as a receiver last year I mean, a non-receiving alvin Kamara, or even just a mitigated version of himself with a six game suspension uh, he's got plenty more room to fall he's tough yeah i think you can make the opposite case as
1: well with his receiving that last, I mean, we had a multiple year trend of 80 plus receptions. I think it's four years in a row to start his career. Right. And then last year it falls off that maybe we should expect the receiving to rebound, but I'm with you that the improvements at receiver are going to be, you know, a complicating factor there. And especially if there is a suspension, I mean, I think just the way that you think about the way that they're, Season sort of progresses with a new coaching staff. Uh, Sean Payton no longer there. I mean, obviously, Dennis Allen got promoted, but Payton's gone. They're going to have to find answers that don't include Alvin Kamara, and then they're going to have to drop him in at a point, and maybe they'll ride him pretty hard at that point. But especially when you talk about that passing game, if Olave has come on by that point, right? If Landry has really fit in well by that point, if Thomas is healthy or healthy to some degree by that point, it might be tougher Kamara to then come in and or tougher and and steal share than you know if he was sort of established from the beginning. So I have some concerns there for sure. I do think if 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 the receiving stuff can can come back, I mean you can still talk about Alvin Kamara's profile as being a pretty exceptional one. And if he gets incredibly cheap, there's probably an argument to be made that he can be sort of this late season hammer and those types of things in best ball.
2: Then Patrick Mahomes ADP has fallen a handful of slots here he's gone from about 40 to about 46. does this change anything for him i do do you have any kind of you mentioned that you brought a luau so i know you're not tracking like what Patrick Mahomes has been up to in the last week but is this a little bit connected to the fact that we're not getting the type of juju buzz that we'll get later if he's healthy and we're not getting sky more buzz and people are having a harder time envisioning how the weapons help him. I just selected Justin Herbert in a dynasty startup and have gone from being, you know, mildly on his bandwagon to like trying to drive the bus. Just that's one of the effects that you have when you add these players onto important teams for you. And you always want to be aware of that fact that as you draft a player, you end up elevating them in your personal not necessarily rankings but kind of your emotional ranking will change a little bit and it's easier to be like oh well you know joshua palmer and gerald everett are going to catch a bunch of passes alvin Kamara is going to again be the best receiving back in the nfl there are enough weapons for him but the reality still for me is that the chiefs have now actually built in more possible ways for mahomes to flourish than even some of the teams and some of the quarterbacks in that range. I think people are more excited about the weapon. So, I mean, this is a topic we've gone over. We're enthusiastic about the chiefs, but is there anything here that is substantive or you think this is just kind of bouncing around as we kind of move through the, the doldrums? It's interesting. Cause uh, you know,
1: this tool that wrote of this is great. I'm, I'm clicking through it right now. I just highlighted the QBs cause my immediate thought was, Oh no, are we going to lose the great, value on Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray and, and their rushing ability. Those guys have fallen a little bit too, as has Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Jalen Hurts have all fallen a little bit. So some of this might just be as we get closer to the season, the QBs were going very high, we're starting to get more comfortability in the in the running back and wide receiver targets, right? And so people are now going, I mean, we, we see this most, most off seasons. Having said that, Trey Lance is rising, which we talked about, and maybe we had a little something to do with. I saw a few tweets about our show. People seem to enjoy it. Um, and and, and then the guy you just mentioned, Justin Herbert, Herbert is the only other QB, I think, in the top 100 picks who is rising at all. He's risen just a little bit over the last week or couple of weeks. But Mahomes has fallen the most. Brady second most. And, I, you know, we talked about some of the stuff that's going on with the Bucs. Everyone else just, you know, within – one ADP spot to, or, or a fraction of an ADP spot to maybe two ADP spots, just like, just small falls. Mahomes about a half a round, six spots. I mean, I think some of that is probably related to what I was just saying with Lamar Jackson and Kyler and, and people maybe being more willing to pull the trigger on these Russian QBs a little higher. I don't know that it makes me want to go jump all over Mahomes. I don't necessarily think that he's overpriced either. I guess I just don't have a strong opinion on it. Um, but the fall probably was warranted when you can consider the the other quarterbacks that you can get after him. Does that does that make
2: sense? I think it does. I think it's exactly right. I'm <laughs> one of the biggest Patrick Mahomes fans you'll find, and I'm very optimistic about their offseason and moves, and I don't think that you can purchase him at this price within the context of how these draft formats work. I mean, you have to wait for hybrid QBs who have more or similar scoring upside and just are less expensive. You mentioned that there have been some flat ranges for the wide receivers rounds three, four, five compared to previous years. And yet I do think that as things shuffle just a little bit, you can kind of find a pathway through it in the drafts that we've done together in the drafts I've done with column for OT and some of the drafts I'm doing with our best ball gurus over on the site. It just has been easier to, Chart that path, whether you're doing zero RB or anchor running back. Even if you're kind of doing a, a hyper fragile, but then you're trying to come back in, in rounds four and five, you really need to hit if you started with three running backs. And not that every hyper fragile has to be exactly RB times three to start, but that part of it has gotten a little bit better. And so I think that that probably is knocking some people down. And now let's fit with the the guys who are going up. We're seeing Travis ETN. There has been good news on his foot they seem to think he looks fantastic there were a lot of questions about that injury and so the fact that he seems to be you know fairly close to 100 and seems to be on track now we're starting to get a true look at where drafters value him if he is healthy the other back with a little bit of a similar dynamic but also then has the news coming out that (laughs) What we would all expect or at least hope for that the Giants coaching staff is going to use Saquon Barkley as the receiving superstar that he is. It's fortunate. And, and this is one of the things we talked about early that you want to take advantage of. And you're not going to always be right. But you want to take advantage of ADPs that seem completely out of whack. And if you have builds and even builds in specific formats, these formats are obviously not all the same, where you can take advantage of adps that are off early and an adp that's off by a half round early is significant it's going to change how you want to build things out etn and Barkley getting more expensive it's great news for them it's bad news for drafters who are trying to get in some hyper fragile builds before those prices rose
1: yeah etn especially has been a bummer because i'm not drafting as much as i'd like to be and, and he's someone we've really liked and talked about as a clear target and then you see that some of that equity just evaporated over the last couple of weeks. You go over the last month, he's risen, you know, around and a half, not just a half around. It's been pretty substantial and and for good reason. And we're excited about what he could bring. But, and I, I still think he's a value where he's wound up, but it's a, you know, a very positive note for anyone who had been getting a lot of ETN earlier in the off season. I don't expect that trend to reverse. Barkley's interesting. A lot of, lot of excitement there, and and we've been excited about him and on him. But there's probably a point where Barkley can get a little too expensive for me, so I'll be interested to track him. Uh, another one who's risen a little bit over the last few days is Ezekiel Elliott. I'm not sure if you mentioned him, but I've seen some tweets about him. I was you know, certainly still trying to, to check Twitter a little bit while I was on vacation, and I, I saw some comments that were saying that he's just mispriced. I mean, I hope he keeps rising because I personally don't think he's
2: mispriced. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have... Well, I just... I wouldn't say I have an unbiased look at him. Our projections are going to have him as not a good value. And yet... I'm also a true believer in in many ways, even if it's not about exactly the same thing. If you told me that someone who was a great player in the past was going to come back at an age range that a lot of running backs recently have struggled at, and was going to be the same player that they were, I mean, I I would want to believe in that for them. And I do think that there's a dynamic here where as we get further along, and this is something that you really emphasize, but as we get further along and as we get closer to the point where the Cowboys can kind of make that flip in their heads, where there's no longer so much pressure to say the contract has to dictate who plays, then Tony Pollard and his far better statistical profile is going to come into play more but there is an element where even last year when he was clearly so good and Elliot was so bad he didn't play nearly enough you can imagine how that could work how the dynamic would work in the other direction if Elliot gets back to being anywhere close to what he was he's not going to be what he was as a 22 year old but I mean how does Pollard play in the game then because they already didn't really want to use him And so this dynamic where enthusiasm and the other thing too, I just, I don't have any, I don't have any of either of these backs so far in the off season and Pollard has been a zero RB target for me before for some of the things that we've talked about. And yet even with the great peripherals this season, I think you're looking at a situation where even if he ends up getting thrust into the starting role, there are going to be more limits on him and what he does with that role and how many snaps he plays. Then someone like A.J. Dillon, who is also rising. And you're like, I mean, how is A.J. Dillon rising as a backup from a price that was already so high? But, and again, I mean, we're definitely rooting hardcore in the opposite direction from this. But if anything were to happen to Aaron Jones, I mean, A.J. Dillon is then, well, let me ask you, Aaron Jones were not on the roster. Where would A.J. Dillon go? in redraft slash best ball right now second round you think honestly i think he'd go in the second round he was a really
1: good receiver last year he's like Derek henry size i think people would talk themselves into the into the the offense being so good and the touchdown equity that would be there
2: i think he'd be the seventh or eighth pick
1: okay so you even think i'm low i thought i was i thought you were saying i was high yeah i think maybe first round yeah i mean i'm with you i think There would be a lot of enthusiasm for AJ Dillon, and rightfully so. I really, really like AJ Dillon. Listeners from last offseason know uh, I was very excited about him. (laughs) Just the thought of it is like,
2: that would be really fun to see AJ Dillon unleashed.
1: I think he's rising even though he's a backup because this is one of those ones where you get sort of the interesting groupthink element of fantasy football sometimes where there was so much talk about Aaron Jones receiving with Devontae Adams out over the last few years, I think I've mentioned on the show a few times that, I, I mean, I think that's notable. And I do think Aaron Jones is going to be an important part of their passing game this year. And the fact that he actually gets air yards and gets down the field in some of these routes, that's all very big. But it's also, I think, a little, I think it's depending on how much you're relying on those splits. I think most people are looking at those splits and going, we don't need him to be that good for 17 games. So certainly you need to regress at some. But I think it's also a concern to say that, the ways that he was used are gonna be the same for seventeen games because I don't don't know that he's gonna be that much of a focal point in the passing game over the course of a full season, like and all of a sudden have an Alvin Kamara type year over the course of a full year. It could happen. But Aaron Rodgers has not to, you know, typically used his running backs like that. I think you're more likely to find some downfield guys that he you know, starts to develop some connections with. But the group thing commented as it relates to A.J. Dillon, I think everyone's gotten so comfortable with that narrative for Aaron Jones that now they're saying, well, wait, so A.J. Dillon gets to carry 20 times now because Aaron Jones is basically playing wide receiver. And, and so you get yourself into this pretzel where, like, this is one outcome, and it could happen, but where we see a lot of two running back sets and they're both out there a lot and they're they're two major parts of the offense and they both perform well enough to, to justify their draft selections, it could happen. It really could but I think the market is starting to really buy into that outcome. That's probably a sub 50% outcome. I mean, that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. I think it's maybe a 30% outcome, 20% outcome even where we get that many two running back sets that, that both these ADPs make sense, you know, just sort of without an injury, but the market is treating it more like, you know, certainty at this point or, or a very likely scenario. And so you can get into some trouble there, but, on the flip side of that, you can still get bailed out of the A.J. Dillon contingency value that we just talked about. I mean, he's still a very good handcuff pick, and I still want to be drafting him.
2: And the contrast there, too, from between Dillon and some of our other favorite backup slash committee backs who are in that range that normally has at least one, if not three or four guys, pay off very handsomely. You have players like Armand Stevenson who are squeezed from both sides. You have players like Ronald Jones who are squeezed from both sides. I mean, CH is very inexpensive right now too, but I mean, he's definitely squeezed to where it's hard to see how it would work out for him. There are some very talented players in that range where it's just, it's difficult to even once an injury happens to see the total number of touches that would make them pay off on around eight or nine price and that's still a range where you're talking about the quarterback window you're maybe looking at the second wave of tight ends and a lot of drafters are still building out the end of their wide receiver group at those prices yeah stevenson and
1: jones are two guys i really like from a talent perspective but i've had a hard time i mean i think i have an easier time with jones because i think he brings something the other two don't which is size more physicality, I think, than CEH and, and Jerick McKinnon. And so there, is, I, I can see these scenarios, right, where he is a good enough between-the-tackles runner that he winds up as a 15-carry-a-game guy. He's just their guy.
2: And he runs a little bit bigger than his size, whereas the other right. two do not. Yeah, he's a, a much more physical runner. Stevenson I really
1: like. The hard thing for me with him has been trying to figure out sort of what he brings that the others don't. And you're right. I mean, getting squeezed from both sides, the, you know, there's concern about James White's health. I made the little, uh, I made a comment recently about uh time Montgomery and, and, you know, they, they have like, they gave him some guaranteed money and they have him on the roster now. I mean, I think they have options in the past catching role and they didn't really use you Stevenson that much in that role.
2: You can't lose Brandon Bolden, and not fill that slot though. I mean, that's well, so let's talk what the about Patriots are doing.
1: the, the fact. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's, I mean, Funny <laughs> and and also kind of like hilarious. But Brandon Bolden last year was the guy that was keeping Stevenson from playing on third downs, right? So they they did actually treat that as a, an independent slot, even when White was gone. They were like, We want Brandon Bolden to be that guy, <laughs> you know. So if you can't get that role away from Brandon Bolden, and now they brought in Ty Montgomery, which you know, like Ty Montgomery probably shouldn't matter, but they did give him three hundred thousand guaranteed and Four million dollar deal over two years if he actually stays with them for two years. I mean, it's that's not a terrible deal for where Ty Montgomery is in his career. I I just I have a hard time seeing Stevenson catching, you know, 40-50 balls and, and being that main pass catcher for the the third down back for the Patriots. And so it's you know, can he can he break free from Harris? But then you're also talking about how good Pierre Strong looks. They're gonna shuffle their backs. He's probably gonna have some good moments. We really do like
2: Stevenson, but he's one I've had a hard time pulling the trigger on. And because you have that best ball dynamic it is easier to play the Patriots in that but not at the prices that you're getting I mean Harris and Stevenson yeah I mean they're not priced like starters but they're priced like guys that you're going to need to have in your lineup more than a handful of times during the season right and especially if you're building like we are I mean they're they're this price range where they might be our rb1 or at least our you know three or
1: something and there's other guys in those ranges that, you know, we, we're obviously going to shy away from guaranteed touches, but I feel a lot more comfortable about their potential for work throughout the season and various avenues to really big workloads and, and you know, much you know more spike weeks and, and those types of things. Stevenson feels like he's going to need a few injuries and him for him to play well. You're kind of doing a two step and. And for Pierre Strong to not play well, you know, to not immediately be a guy who also demands a share of the work. Cause we know Belichick will, will mix in all, a, a lot of different guys if, if that's the way that, you know, makes the most sense. And they do like Harris. So, yeah, I mean, it's, that's a backfield that I'm, I mean, I guess if I was taking shots on it, it would probably be strong late, but, or the pass catchers. James White is very affordable. The injury stuff's a little concerning, but you can get him pretty cheap for a guy who might, if he plays catch, you know, 50 balls.
2: Yeah. I'm such a big Pierre strong fan. And when he ended up in new England, it's like, that's just the end now. I mean, there's, there's never going to be anything else with him, but the news has been good. And in the last round, you're trying to diversify a little bit. You're trying to hit on that guy who not only scores, which any 20th rounder who can score for you is going to be a big deal, but also someone who scores. And is not on a lot of other rosters. Then you're sitting in a situation where you're really moving through both the regular season and then have that tournament team that could come up with the big money for you. Ben, it's been great to have you back. I'm glad to see that despite the peeling, you do look like you are in one shape there. And we'll be back next week with some more stealing bananas, but it's been a, a fun episode. Uh, thanks for going through the road of underdog ADP tool with me, looking at some risers and followers. We'll keep you guys updated on how these players are moving throughout the course of the season. Obviously some we've clearly connected to news and then other movements will be the community actually changing opinions on how these guys are going to fit within teams, how they see injuries, that type of thing, staying ahead of some of these trends, getting guys when they are at good prices, targeting some of the followers. being able to distinguish between the followers that you think are going to go down another three or four rounds and the followers who you want to buy as they slide, because once that slide stops, it's going to skyrocket back in their direction. Get a little bit of that slingshot action. We want to be able to tell the difference there. So that'll do it for today. This has been Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel with me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at YardsPerGretch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. And if you want to join us over at RotoViz, you can use the coupon code Radio 2022 at checkout for a 10 percent discount and a happy july 4th everyone celebrate be safe subscribe to the ceiling banana speed as, as part of your holidays we'll see you guys soon